Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Trump better? I don't give a fuck about Trump, okay? Trump is dangerous for this country, and so is Hillary Clinton. What's she going to do for me? What's she going to do for my children? What is she going to do for my community? Yeah. Is she going to frack the hell out of it? Is she going to put more of the soldiers on the ground? I love the this East? woman. She's a delegate. Do you believe one damn word a woman like her says? How can America believe this when yesterday she proved to us that when you're a corrupt person, she's going to promote you? What did she do with Debbie Wasserman Schultz? Exactly. She promoted her. So what does that say about the Democratic Party? We need to clean house. Thank you. We Thank need you. to clean house. I I want you. Young cabin talk. Yes. We That's need to clean home. house. And I hope everybody understands the seriousness of this. Right. If we the people do not get behind democracy harder than we ever have in our entire lives, we're not going to have any democracy. People have been laughing at me and, oh, well, you know, they've been saying that forever. Do you remember this? Do you remember that? What I remember is, is that by the thousands and hundreds of thousands in this election, people were wiped off the voter rolls. People's, people's affiliation with one party was flipped to another. Did we hear the leaders of the Democratic Party, including President Obama, get out and try to do anything about Nothing. it? Nothing. No. We've got to stop it. We've got to clean house. We've got to demand it. We've got to stay with ourselves and build this revolution. Bernie wants to help us build the revolution, but I'm not a sheep for Bernie or anybody else, and I will not spend what few years I've got left on this earth to help someone like Hillary Clinton. So come take my credentials. to have guest Portia Bolger on the show because we're going to talk about activism. Now, you know Portia from the viral video from 2016 in which she got very angry about the DNC shenanigans and was calling out a lot of the corruption for what it was. I wanted to have Portia on so we can discuss um, that as a starting point and get into a conversation about how we can better organize in 2020 as activists. So welcome, Portia. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So you originally came to the activist forefront when the video of you at the DNC convention went viral. And in that video, you lobbed some legitimate criticism at Debbie Washerman Schultz, the DNC, and the Democrat Party, Democrat Party leadership in general. Um, what were some of the things that you had witnessed as a delegate that prompted your righteous anger in that moment? Well, um, actually, it started way before we were in Philly and during the campaign itself and watching uh, polls shut down within, you know, a couple of days before people were to go vote. In particular, I'm thinking of Puerto Rico, and I believe it was Arizona, people standing in really long lines, and it, it was just very clear what they were trying to do, which was suppress the vote. 
And um, the more people who turned out, it meant Bernie was had a much higher probability of winning. The the process of scheduling of the debates was just an absolute fiasco. The process of mainstream media not giving Bernie but a few minutes and giving Hillary so much time. Um, so my anger <laughs> was building and building. Uh, even, you know, it comes to mind the fact that Elizabeth Warren would not endorse Bernie. And the fact that, you know, Hillary or Obama won was calling forth uh, these people to come and visit them and who knows what was said behind closed doors, but I'm very inclined to believe that there were threats made and promises made and anything in between that could get these folks they met with to do what they wanted. And the, the absolute, um, just treacherous behavior of Debbie Wasserman Schultz all the way through. It, it was just really, really anger building. So get to the, get to the convention thinking we're going to have a floor fight and then find out we're not. So that was very frustrating. But what really, really frustrated me was when the WikiLeaks came out and we found out how deep seated all of this, uh, corruption was. I mean, to to know it and to feel it versus read about it, it really brings it home. Even though we all knew what was going on before, we knew it with everything in us to see it out there. Just really, just, uh, I still don't exactly have the verbiage to be able to describe what I felt then, and I still feel it. Every word that I said in that video, I meant then, and I mean it now. I wouldn't take back one word. So um, the the anger of knowing that that the superdelegates could have changed things. You know, when you're behind six points in Ohio going into an election, you've got a freaking problem. And for them not to be willing to acknowledge that, for the for the people who were superdelegates from the state of Ohio and some of the other states to not come forward and say, hey, we changed our mind. We're swinging for Bernie because we know he can win. Bernie was ahead by double digits. And just to go through that process and to hear right before that rant video was recorded, and it was recorded by Claudia Saber, who does Cabin Talk on Facebook, and she and I had never met in the real world, but we knew each other through Facebook. And she just happened to be in the room when Bernie spoke to all the delegates that day. I believe it was on a Tuesday, though. I can't swear to you now what day it was. It was the day before the actual uh, crowning of Hillary. Um, but she and I met for the first time. We stood there. We cried. We held each other. And then as we were coming out, I was being interviewed by a reporter from, I don't know if it was Boston or Baltimore, but I'm pretty sure it was one of those. And uh, the, the interview went really well. But then he asked me, what about Trump? And it just infuriated me. I didn't give a fuck about Donald Trump then, and I don't now in, in relationship, in the context of the topic at that moment. 
Do I care about what Trump's doing to our country? Yes, I do. And I do believe that there's something there involved with Russia. I'm not quite sure what it is, but it's pretty damn clear that he's Putin's prophet. Now, a lot of progressives don't don't believe that, but I don't know how they can't because we see it. But uh, going back to my anger, you know, being inside that meeting, I'm, I'm just really glad Claudia caught that video. I really am. Because I didn't know, I did not know I was being recorded. Until she, if you watched, if you watched the whole thing, uh, there's been several cuts of it. After I talked to that reporter and I'm saying, we need to clean house, we need to clean house. Then Claudia starts talking to me and saying, I want you. And I'm not sure what she's talking about for a second. And then you can just see that I realize that she's videoing me. And then she continues to ask me some questions. Needless to say, I love this woman and we were just crying together. My heart's broken. I want my grandchildren to live in a democracy. I'm 63 years old. I could be home working in my garden. I could be crocheting for the next little great-grandchild I got coming. But I'm here because I really want this earth to live. I want my babies to live. I want my grandchildren to go to college. And I don't give a shit who says we can't afford it. Because this is about priority spending. Are the people that pull on that lever for Hillary Clinton going to be able to answer one question? Is it okay for people to cheat and lie? Is that what we want in the most important office in our world? Because that's what they're going to be voting for. I love her, and she'll be my friend forever. I love you. Bye. Thank you. But, um, so that wasn't a canned thing. It was spontaneous, raw truth. And I just want people to know that, that that wasn't like performed. And so as we, when we were inside with Bernie, he basically had three points. The first was to celebrate with us and, and to reaffirm the fact that we made history. We didn't win, but we made history. And secondly, that the, that he was going to do everything in his power to move the revolution forward. Thus came the birth of our revolution, although Bernie does not run that. And I think it's important for people to understand that Bernie does not run our revolution. Nina Turner does, and that board, and Bernie cannot run it or it would be illegal. But um, so those were the first two points. We made history. Our revolution would move forward. And then he pivoted and started saying how we had to get behind Hillary. He didn't, he didn't order us. The word had is not correct. That he was urging us and uh, explaining with everything in him the urgency of that and that Donald Trump was dangerous for America. And we were screaming back, and so is Hillary. (laughs) You know, we were doing everything we could to help him understand that we did not want that. However, Bernie is a man of his word. And when he declared his presidency, he or candidacy, 
he told the world that if he didn't win, he would support the nominee. And Bernie is a very brilliant man. And what the most important reason that I support Bernie Sanders is that he's honest and that he has had a consistent message since he first entered public life back when he won the, what would, what did he do win his first race by 10 votes to become the mayor of Burlington. So, He's a consistent, honest man, and if he had broke his word, then nobody with any common sense anyway would ever be able to know for sure he was telling the truth. Because once you lie, once you break your word, you cannot back it up. So that's where my anger came from, a lot of frustration. Well, it's, you know, well-deserved frustration, and um, I think a lot of us were feeling it, because I think at... at at the heart of the matter is the hypocrisy that became very clear um, that existed within the Democrat Party. I know for me, it was <clears throat> it was very eye opening to see how all of those things played out in 2016, because I think I'd been a little bit naive to uh, you know you want to believe that you know you're leftist. You want to believe that the left, the quote unquote scare quotes, air quotes, left party is better than the Republican Party. But we've seen time and time again now how they have no problem engaging in various types of voter suppression if it benefits them. Um, and I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you've been following the race um, in North Carolina right now where ballot harvesting has become an issue where the Republican candidate was um, illegally um, hiring paid canvassers to collect ballots. And I want to bring yes, this, I have been. Okay, I want to bring this up because um, I actually wrote an article um, in our Washington Babylon just about a year ago, talking about ballot harvesting, not because the the uh, Republicans were doing it, but because the Democrats were doing it here in the state of California. Now, in our state, it's perfectly legal because they changed the verbiage um, in our legislation to say that any person. Not uh, not necessarily care to give her a family member, but any person can turn in a mail-in ballot for somebody. And um, we saw in several races here in California where corporate establishment Democrat candidates were hiring a company called Groundworks, um, that are their paid canvassers, to do ballot harvesting on their behalf. Um, my argument was that this was a dangerous game, it's a slippery slope, and that when the Republicans got their hands on it, they would do it better, they would do it stronger, and they'd do it bigger because that's usually what happens. And here we are, flash forward, a year later, we're seeing this uh, blow up now in their faces. Yet, they don't see the problem with the hypocrisy. So um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you... Uh, because obviously, I mean, the superdelegates, I mean, we can go down the list of some of the things that you mentioned. All of these things are innately uh, antithetical to the claim that we're for the people, we're for helping the disadvantaged, um, we're for the minority rights. Like, I feel like it flies in the face of that belief um, that there's a conflict, a tension. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? And how do we solve it? What do we do to get to get that hypocrisy out of the system? I I don't think we'll ever be able to get hypocrisy out of the system 100%. But what we can do is the very best job possible at educating voters when their elected officials are hypocrites and when they're not following through with what the voter wants. 
I don't know how we'll ever stop cheaters and liars because people, some people, it seems they were born cheaters and liars. But what we can do is a better job of our ballot process. Another thing we have going on is, is the ACLU is suing the state of California because they've been throwing out mail-in ballots without notifying the voters, which is also, believe it or not, perfectly legal, legal in the state. So if the signatures don't really? match, yeah, which is crazy, right? If the signatures don't match on the mail-in ballot with the signature that they have on file, and when you think about it, some of these signatures they have on file could be 20 years old. So people's signatures change through the years. It's, it's you know, so if the county worker looks at the signatures and decides that they're, they're, they're funky or they don't match, he can just toss the ballot without letting the voter know or without giving them the chance to rectify the situation. And I think the ACLU is dead right here. And what blows my mind is Alex Padilla and Becerra, our attorney general, are both um, fighting against the lawsuit. They filed an appeal instead of saying to the ACLU, you're right, we should fix this. So once again, I'm seeing the Democrat Party not backing up what they say they believe in with the correct action. It's very frustrating. Well, I think that might, the first thing that came to my mind was that might just be another uh, example of that Democrats, in many cases, are actually Republicans in disguise. (laughs) (laughs) Because anybody that calls himself a Democrat that doesn't want to have fair and open elections is, uh, there's something wrong with them. Just the innate hypocrisy of the Democratic Party saying they stand for voter rights. They're opening the door to that when they engage in the same tactics. It's, it, you know, it's like you have to at some point acquiesce to the that there needs to be integrity in the system. If people don't trust the system itself, then everything is lost. And you can't fudge that. Right. It's not team sports when it comes to, to when it comes to integrity in the system. We both have to both sides. We have to agree that preserving the system is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, but see that when you when you're dealing with hypocrites, they only want it when it's in their interest. So mm-hmm. it it is it's a real problem. It, it's a it is a real problem. Yeah. We have to just keep at it and keep at it and keep at it and listen to people like Jennifer Cohn. I wish I knew for sure how to say her last name <laughs> and right. pay attention. There are only two vendors account for between eighty and ninety percent of U.S. election equipment. It's the two vendors are ESNS and Dominion Voting. And so we really got, I don't know what the technical definition is of a monopoly, but something very close to a monopoly going on. So when you, I think what happens is with DEF CON, people hear, okay, well, this little voting machine there got hacked and this one here could be hacked here, but we're all so disparate and I'm sure my state doesn't use that machine and I must be fine. And What I have been trying to do in general, and I'm trying to do it a little in Kansas, is there's really a story to be told about these vendors, the vendors themselves. And there's a lot of um, similarity from state to state, especially in some of the states that seem to go out of their way to not uh, allow transparent, not pass transparency protocols like manual audits. And there is just a lot of similarity. Typically it's the same, it is the same vendors and it's very similar machines. And it's really the same story. And um, so what I'm, I'm trying to do is kind of put a, a context and a narrative to some of the findings from 
you know, from the IT experts at DEF CON and elsewhere. And pay really close attention to what's going on and advocate for that at the, at the county level. See, that's something we can do at our county level. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go statewide even or nationwide. We can demand this at our county level through whatever government bodies uh, there are, like in my county in Ohio, Ross County, it, we have county commissioners. We can demand this. But we have to take the time to educate people about them and and get them to listen. That's the thing, trying to get people to listen, because look at the Narcan pain. People that I've known and loved and still love all my life were okay with the cheating and the lying Mm -hmm. because they wanted her so badly. And a part of me understands that I'm 66, so I kind of grew up with Hillary, Mm -hmm. and I used to adore her. I mean, absolutely adore her. She was like a demigod to me. Mm -hmm. And watching the work that she did, like one of the really significant things that Hillary did back during the 80s was to help get the, um, is it called the World Bank, Mm -hmm. International Bank, to give loans to poor women in West Virginia. West Virginia uh, qualified as a third world country due to its geographics and its poverty. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of rural women in West Virginia that actually were benefited uh, by being able to access that money and start up little co-ops and little businesses for themselves. You know, women out in the hills that didn't have a damn car, that didn't have access to the city to get a job, were able to make their own jobs. And other work that she did, she, I mean, I am not the kind of person that, although I'm just frustrated as hell with her, uh, willing to give up and not um, give credit where credit's due. Right. Because nobody's pure evil. No, no maybe no, no. maybe Trump is. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't believe that Hillary's pure evil, but she's just done some really awful things, awful, right. awful things. But right. my point is, is that there's people out there that um, will go along, just like the Trump supporters will go along. Mm-hmm. We've got people who I've met real Christians. I mean, I know judge, not least you be judge, all that, but... I've met people who really do care, and somehow they're able to to turn blind eye to all of the things that he's done. Just just the um, what you would call sinful things yeah. that go against the Ten Commandments, if you will. And they're like, well, you know, God called him, and and he's human, and you know, David the fucked up, and you know, King David, you know, and right. da 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 da. Which so is bizarre, right? They're able to. It, it's extremely bizarre, but I ha- I remember when Obama and Hillary ran against each other in two thousand eight. Yeah. I voted for Hillary, and Did it was a hard like- decision. Huh. It, I did, okay. and I'll tell you why. The night before, um, I was going down both of their websites looking at all the issues, and the one thing I knew is that Hillary had spent more time on early childhood education. And I'm a teacher. I'm retired now, but an early childhood teacher. And so education and the fact that that was, that was the, the one thing that I really knew she had more um, background and uh experience in. What I didn't know was that 
a lot of the things she appeared to be were just what she wanted people out in the public to think she was. You know, remember when she got caught saying that behind closed doors she said one thing and in the public she said another? I want to move on. This next question comes from the public through the Bipartisan Open Debate Coalition's online forum where Americans submitted questions that generated millions of votes. This question involves WikiLeaks release of purported excerpts of Secretary Clinton's paid speeches, which she has refused to release, and one line in particular in which you, Secretary Clinton, purportedly say you need both a public and private position on certain issues. So, two from Virginia asks, is it okay for politicians to be two-faced? Is it acceptable for a politician to have a private stance on issues? Secretary Clinton, well, your two minutes. Right. As, as I recall, that was uh, something I said about Abraham Lincoln uh, after having seen the wonderful Steven Spielberg movie called Lincoln. It was a master class watching President Lincoln get the Congress to approve the 13th Amendment. It was principled and it was strategic. And I was making the point that it is hard sometimes to get the Congress to do what you want to do, and you have to keep working at it. And yes, President Lincoln was trying to convince some people, he used some arguments. Convincing other people, he used other arguments. That uh, was a great... Uh, uh, I thought a great uh, display of presidential leadership. Mother. So, so she tricked me, and I didn't. Ha I had on my rose-colored glasses with her and with Bill Clinton. I'll never forget celebrating. You know, the baby boomers have arrived. We're now in power after all these years, and we were blindsided so badly by Clinton. We had, you know, we, I'll, I'll never forget hearing the new Democrats. I'm thinking, wow, that's a really neat phrase. <clears throat> Not knowing that they were set up to destroy the progressives like me, I didn't learn about those things until the last few years. So getting back to our topic of how can people follow along blindly, I believe it's based on um, a lot of admiration, uh, respect, because at that point in time, prior to, to myself anyway, learning the truth, I really did respect her. I mean, love, hate, or being different with Hillary Clinton, she's been through the fire. She's been through the fire. Having a husband that's had so many uh, affairs and embarrassed her family. And I can't imagine having to go through that, but I also want to end that little statement with being so angry with her for not leaving him. I'll never forget when it finally came out and she was, I'm going to stand by my man. I was screaming at the TV set so loudly that I, I'm not exaggerating. I had laryngitis for over a week because I was screaming at her, and it's like, you're supposed to be a feminist, and you're telling the women of the world that it's okay for their men to act like this and to stay with them? And, you know, she, yeah, bimbo explosion. I'll never get past that. She was literally, literally blaming the women for her husband's sins.
reported that as First Lady, Hillary led the effort to disparage her husband's woman accusers who were dismissed as bimbo eruptions. In November, she wrote on her Twitter page, she said, every survivor of sexual assault deserves to be heard, believed, and supported. That's interesting. I was never heard and supported and, and believed. She, she tried to basically derail me. Um, and instead of of acknowledging that her husband had wronged these women and wronged her, she was defending him. Yeah, the standby, standby my man thing when he does really horrible things is just not something I'm, I'm going to get behind. You know, and, and on that note, um, from a feminist perspective, it seems to me that the continued use of terms like Bernie bro, bro adjacent, um, this entire type of narrative is really counter to what feminism is as well, because... As women, we as women, um, we have agency, we have minds, we, have, we, we think, we make decisions, we have critical reasoning skills. So I don't understand why what I'm going to call phony feminism, because it's sort of part of the same branch as, as what you're mentioning in regards to um, um, Hillary sticking by Bill's side through that. I, it's not really feminist. And I, and I see women doing this. And I just, when I ask them, my response is always like, well, did you vote for Sarah Palin? You know, and you often have the response, well, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. I'm like, it is as ridiculous as the argument you're making because that is absolutely the only logical conclusion that that if you take this argument to the end point, you will get to. Because you're literally saying vote for the women no matter what. They don't seem to understand that yeah. our... Yeah, right? They don't seem to understand that our beef with um, Hillary is that we don't agree with her policies. It's as simple as that. We like Bernie's it policies. is, and, and I've always voted that way. Yeah. I've always voted that way. It just happened up until very recently that um, people were attacked in the well, for my knowledge, in my universe anyway, mm -hmm. that people were attacked for voting for the person who um, best represented their issues. Mm -hmm. I've always voted that way. Going to the Bernie Bro thing, it, it really is a you know, I, I, it pissed me off that, that hashtag Bernie bro. But then I am at first because it's like, I'm a woman. All right. You right, know, right. taking this a, a little further about feminism, but then I thought as a feminist, I'm going to own this. Yeah. And not only as a feminist, but a white haired feminist. <laughs> don't you tell me that older people don't support Bernie. And don't you tell me yeah. that Appalachian people don't support Bernie. And don't you tell me right. that feminist women don't because they do. they do. And I'm a feminist above everything else. Uh, one thing that I'm very disappointed in the progressives Every, almost every single one of them, every single, Bernie has it in his platform, and there's a few others, but they don't even look at the Equal Rights Amendment. This is a repeat of the Firing Line program originally telecast on April 15th, 1973. The other day, the state of Connecticut ratified the so-called uh, Equal Rights Amendment, uh, bringing at that point the total to 28 states out of the 38 required to graft the amendment onto the Constitution. The national chairman of the movement to stop ERA is Mrs. Phyllis Schlafly, who is here today and raring to go. Dr. Ann Scott is vice president for legislation 
for the National Organization uh, of Women. He proposed uh, the proposed constitutional amendment passed overwhelmingly by the Senate and the House uh, holds that, quote, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. That doesn't sound particularly subversive, and I would therefore like to begin by asking Mrs. Schlafly to state her principal objection to ERA. Well, it's the very innocuous wording of the amendment that is the reason why many people didn't realize in the beginning what unfortunate consequences it would have. But fortunately, the amending process calls for a full-blown debate in the state legislatures around the country, and this is where we find out some of the things that were not originally realized by many people who voted for it. Uh, we find, as we look into the matter, that ERA won't give women anything which they haven't already got or have a way of getting. But on the other hand, it will take away from women some of the most important rights and benefits and exemptions we now have. What would be an example of that? Well, a great glaring example on which there's full agreement between both the proponents and the opponents is the matter of the draft. Women are exempt from the draft. Selective service says only young men of age 18 have to register. But the Equal Rights Amendment will positively make women subject to the draft and on an equal basis with men. Uh, nor could you have a system whereby the women would get all the nice, easy desk jobs and the men get all the fighting jobs. It would have to be equal across the board, uh, in combat, on warships, and all up and down the line. Do you agree with that, Dr. Scott? Uh, there is no question that if the Equal Rights Amendment is passed, that women would become subject to the draft. However, I think that uh, we have a situation now where the draft is going by the boards. And furthermore, I think the question is not one of the rights of women here, but it is the question of the draft. Clearly, no sane parent would want to see either child, either a son or a daughter, subject to the draft. But if women are to be citizens and citizens are to be subject to the draft, then women should take the responsibilities as well as the rights of citizenship. But it's not simply a question of being subject to the draft. It is also a question of denial of opportunity. There are many situations in which women could benefit from the draft. They already are you in might, the service. You might become a war hero. Why not? Yeah. And it infuriates me. Yeah. Don't you tell me you support women 100% and not get behind the Equal Rights Amendment. Every single one of those young freshmen that call themselves feminists mm -hmm. and say that they support women should have the Equal Rights Amendment in their platforms, and they don't. Mm -hmm. If you look at Justice Democrats and you look at brand new Congress, they don't have hardly anything about women in it. It infuriates me. And so each of the candidates that reached out to me, I had several across the country that reached out to me. I had a couple even ask me to help them with their platforms. Mm. And I told them up front, I won't help you if you don't put the Equal Rights Amendment in your platform. Right. Because if the Equal Rights Amendment was put in these platforms and these people who are fighting so-called for all of us, they would have that at the top of their agenda. Right. Bernie Sanders has the Equal Rights Amendment in his platform, but he needs to step it up and talk about it at his rallies mm -hmm. and, and make it a point that any time and every time he possibly can. We only have one more state. Mm -hmm. 
going to have one more state, and there's a huge campaign going on in Virginia right now. Mm-hmm. They could be the 38th state to ratify. This um, is the civil rights issue of our time. This is a human rights issue, and we can even say that this is an economic issue. Um, there is great legal basis that says, you know, equal pay for equal work. Well, when you talk about that, you're really talking about the Equal Rights Amendment. That's Virginia delegate Jennifer Carroll Foy. Aside from joining the VA Ratify ERA's nine-day bus tour, Carol Foy is a sponsor of the state's resolution. Like in Virginia, we have solidified women's equality in the Virginia Constitution. So you may be successful on a sex discrimination claim in Virginia. However, if it goes up to the Supreme Court, you will more likely than not lose. The Virginia measure has garnered support from state lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. But there are some potential roadblocks at the national level. For one, Congress's ratification deadline for the amendment expired over 35 years ago. That was after Congress passed the ERA, leaving it up to the states. The deadline could be renewed as it has in the past. And some argue formally ratifying the ERA isn't necessary because there have been measures outside of constitutional amendments taken since its introduction to ensure gender equality. When it didn't pass back in the 70s and 80s, I think that a lot was done through legislation through Title IX, through various laws. Because that was done, we have gotten to a different place. Like, I've had far more opportunities than my mother had, but we're still not where we should be, and that's why it's important to do this now, because we can make it so that the next generation is even in in an even better space, because legislation can be repealed, and we really need it in the Constitution. Also, our revolution has the Equal Rights Amendment in their issues. So I really want to challenge these so-called young uh, progressives because they're not doing their job for women. Right. This campaign is listening to women. And what women are telling us is they are tired of going into an office or going into a company and earning 79 cents on the dollar compared to men. They want the whole damn dollar. They're right. Not even equal. We, we still don't have gender parity in our occupations. And I love it when Nina Turner says, I want my whole dollar. You know, it's like true. I want my whole dollar. But it's less urgent. Damn now. dollar. Damn dollar. That's right. <laughs> I want my whole damn dollar. <laughs> right? But I feel like it's just it's yes. in the forefront of their brains because they don't, they didn't have that extreme, um, environment that they grew up in it's it's been much more equal for them which is because of work of what the reason is because of work of women like yourself so i think they need to be pushed a little bit in that direction i think you're correct because we're still not there obviously we're still not there and uh, we need to be it's 20 you know we're going into 2019 how is this even a thing that women aren't paid the same it's crazy well and if i could push back just a little bit sure, it's their responsibility it, it, a person who runs for office, it's their responsibility to know. Indeed. It is their responsibility to know. And if they don't have the ability, and the, I, I believe that they all have the ability. They're smart people. Mm-hmm. But they don't have the willingness, maybe, to dig deep into what's going on. Why aren't we getting paid equal? Well, because we don't have an equal rights amendment. Right. right after Dr. Alice Paul told she warned women 
I wish I could do it verbatim, but basically, we shall not be safe until the concept of equality is written into the framework of our government, meaning an amendment. And she co-authored the Equal Rights Amendment, and she fought for it all her life. Now, any woman who has graduated from high school, even, and who has gone out into the workforce understands that she's not getting the same money as her counterpart, male counterpart. And if these people who are running for office, male and female, because the man knows he's making more than the woman, and the woman knows she's making less. So any of those people that are running for office, when they tell me that they don't know, it's like, Jesus, God, do you not know the sky's blue? How about all this sexual harassment? Why is it that women don't get justice in a court of law? It's because they don't have the same level of scrutiny. The Equal Rights Amendment will do so much more than just give women the opportunity to have an equal playing field for income, but it will give them a much stronger position in a court of law because of the level of scrutiny that it will give us if we enter into a court of law and have to file civil suits. And so look at the 19th Amendment. I'm sorry, Title Nine. I mean, can you hear the urgency in my voice? It's like it's falling apart. When I was pregnant for my second son, that's, I believe it was, I think it went into effect either in 78 or, let's see, 1978. I was pregnant for my second son at that time, and I was having very serious problems and almost lost them. And I worked in a factory, and my doctor wanted me on light-duty work, and they wouldn't put me on light-duty work. I was only 24 years old, but I knew about Title IX. If I knew it back then without the Internet, why the hell wouldn't people know about it now? I knew about the Equal Rights Amendment back then. I didn't have all this, you know, Internet and technology. I knew about it because I cared enough to know about it. And so it really disappoints me. And I just think that we as a progressive movement should really be pushing our candidates and our electeds. If you want our support, then damn it, you go full bore and you do it with vigor. Don't just put your name on a bill. Do it with vigor. Because in my opinion, there's nothing more important. When you give women power, the economic power and the power to be able to be at least on the same playing field in the world of legalities, then you give more power to the issues that matter, meaning climate, meaning, you know, 15 an hour. If I'm making a decent living and not having to work two and three jobs, I can get out there and protest with you. I can spend some time on a phone bank. I can knock on some doors. And the reason that so many people who are living in poverty, be it poor black and brown or poor whites, we, they can't get out there and help. So I, I hope I'm not sounding like I'm lecturing, but I just no. am so tired of people not supporting women 100%. That's right. No, I've had some of these progressives tell me that they thought I was out of my mind. You're kidding. How could? No, I'm not. I'm telling you the truth. 
Yeah, no, I think um, I love your passion, Portia, and I think you're right. Um, and I just think we need to, because I've seen some of these young girls, I have the same frustration with you. I see some of these young girls saying that they're not feminist, and I'm like, you should be. But part of the problem is also is they see the hypocritical, phony feminism, and it repulses them, which I also agree with. I understand that. Um, I totally understand why they would be repulsed by that, because it is hypocritical, and it makes no sense. You can't. You can't tell me that you're a feminist if you're going to slut shame women for any choice that they make. I mean, this to me is like, it's 2019. Why are we still going there? Like, I really, you know, look, I can attack Melania Trump on a million policy positions. I can attack her on a million bad choices that she's made. And that's what I'm going to attack her on. I'm not going to attack her because she was naked in a magazine. That's just to me. Oh, I agree with you so much. You know, I it's agree like with you're, you. just, you're just upholding a patriarchal system if that's what you're doing. But I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, Democrat women do this thing. And I'm like, don't do this. Please don't do this. You're just holding up a patriarchal system. Attack her for policy. Attack her on the things that actually matter. If any woman chooses to be naked in a magazine, it doesn't mean she's a slut. It just doesn't. Let her make that exactly. decision. Well, and they're also showing their ignorance of culture because (laughs) in France, I think, is where she was mostly. It's a a whole different ballgame there. I was raised, you know, a far-right Christian, right-winger, you know. I I was raised in that church. My father wasn't a right-winger. It's really kind of weird. But um, in that I could be in that church and live in a home that was not. I don't think Dad knew right. <laughs> um, on Twitter, and I, I have asked people, please don't do don't that. Do it, yes. I mean, don't call anybody a slut or a cunt or Anyways, all these other things yeah. they call people. I understand the slut shame. It just doesn't achieve anything except holding up a patriarchal system. And you're right, it is different. You know, my family is from Sweden. You will see um, commercial advertisements of women and you'll see their breasts. It's like not an unusual thing of some, it, you know, like in this country, if they are doing a shampoo or a soap in the shower, you'll never see, you're just not going to see a naked person. And there you would, like nobody would think that was weird. Well, hell, we've got to go back to the Garden of Eden, right? <laughs> we have to cover up our nakedness. Yeah, it's so, yeah, it's so true. It's, it's, it's truly an American uh, puritanical idea. Um, so, you know, I wanted to ask you, give you a chance to respond to something that I thought, and I remember when this happened, I was kind of baffled, but in March of 2016, uh, you were actually accused of being at a Trump rally, um, and giving in Ohio and giving a Nazi salute. And this post for some reason went completely viral and it went to the point even that I, um, I believe Dave Weigel from Washington post even penned a piece on it. So how, A, how did that happen? And what, and the bigger issue, I think, is what was behind that? Why was the narrative um, that you were a, a Bernie Sanders suppo- a delegate, Trump was at a Trump rally doing a Nazi salute? Why is, why were these folks so desperate to have that narrative be true? It, because it's a way of sort of dirtying up the left, the dirty left, so to speak. I thought that was a really... Um, obvious example of I, I think it was an intentional smear like I don't think it was unintentional in its nature how did that how did that whole thing go down from your perspective um and and what are your feelings about being smeared like that by your fellow Democrats well it was horrible it was absolutely horrible and it still to this day baffles me and mm-hmm. I have I've had many sleepless nights over it and I mean, I, it made me physically ill. 
and to be how it happened I have gone over and over and over in my mind. I've asked people who are really smart people that I trust, why me? You know, why Porsche Bolger? I'm not this great, big, important person. I am well-known around my area to be an activist, but I'm not a celebrity. And the only, excuse me, the only thing that I can think of was that I did a really damn good job running the Women for Bernie Twitter feed. And it got a lot of reach. And I was I was working hand-in-hand hand with people for Bernie and millennials for Bernie and vets for Bernie and just pumping it out there. And I was spending, oh, and I'm not exaggerating, 12, 15, 16 hours a day. If it took more than that, I gave it because I knew that it was helping. It was making a difference. So that, and I, I have a pretty good size Twitter feed myself. Back then, it wasn't quite as large as it is, but it was probably seventeen, eighteen thousand followers. It's now getting close to twenty-eight thousand. But with that, I just think that people noticed it. It got in the it got in the press a little bit, and the co-founders of Women for Bernie, which was Pat Downs and Jenny Thierry, I was a founding member. They were the co-founders of Women for Bernie. Um, had been interviewed a few times and there were a few of rest of us that had, we did some really great ground game doing Bernie meetups across the country. I don't remember now, maybe 35 different States. It was phenomenal what we were able to accomplish on a zero budget. That's one thing I really want people to know. Nobody in women for Bernie got paid. We were pure grassroots volunteers. And that's the most powerful thing in our world when you've got pure grassroots. And so they came after me. They, I don't know that picture that they put up beside Bridget is a picture of me that was taken in Washington, D.C. in 2012 at an ERA rally. And that picture was lifted at, yes, because when my hair gets long, my hair is curly and frizzy and wavy. And when it gets long, that's how it is. And I know that picture was lifted off of people for Bernie's website. They've sh they've changed up their website a lot in that, but they used to have a real fine red and white diagonal as their background. And you can, if you look at that picture very carefully, you can see it. So I know it came from people for Bernie's website, and it was lifted and put beside Bridget. What I'll never find out, and I would love to know before I die, is who made that, who did it, and who directed whoever did it to that picture of me. I think it may show that the opposition follows us a lot more than we would ever think about. Absolutely. But see, Donald Trump, whoever put that up, Donald Trump retweeted it. Donald Trump Jr. retweeted oh, it. I did not know that. Are you serious? Yes, oh. I'm serious. And and then uh, Robert Woods Jr. or Robert Woods, the actor. Oh, James Woods. I don't think he has a junior. 
James Woods, I'm oh, sorry, James yeah, Woods, a, Donald Jump Jr. He is an uber writer. He also retweeted it. And he, he, so they're the ones that made that go viral. And oh. then I had, I had a person reach out to me that offered me up access to a really, really good attorney in, in Washington, D.C., Joseph E. Sandler. And he uh, he represents me now. I'm still suing Robert or James Woods. Oh, I did not. An activist from Ohio has filed a defamation suit against Oscar nominee James Woods. Recently filed in a federal court, the suit from Portia Bolger involves a couple tweets and a case of mistaken identity. Woods' attorney has called the suit patently bogus, though Bolger is seeking millions in damages. The Ohio activist became involved with Woods after an account falsely identified Bolger at a rally for Donald Trump. However, she was a supporter of Bernie Sanders during the previous election. Nonetheless, Woods tweeted that the so-called Trump Nazi was a Sanders agitator. Yeah, I would be suing Trump Jr. too, but he uh, actually did, he met my demands, and my demands were twofold. You take down the tweet... And you publicly apologized to me on Twitter. Oh, nice. And, and so Trump did take down the tweet, and he gave me a half-assed apology. It wasn't a really good one, but it was an apology. Mm. And I was told that that's the first time in the history of that family that they've ever apologized. So <laughs> yeah, right. we'll, I, I can't swear to you, but it's kind of a little victory. It but the thing me. that aggravated it made such press when they were attacking me, but when Trump had to apologize, or did apologize, then it hardly made the news at all. And that was real disappointing for me. That's right. Well, James, James Woods refused to take down the tweets for, I remember, was it 11 days or 13 days? So it just kept circulating, circulating, circulating. And then when he finally did take it down, he refused to apologize publicly. He's a and so I'm suing him. Me. Yeah. Um, well, so's Trump Jr., oh, you clearly. know? Yeah, clearly. So but I wonder why he chose to do that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't realize that. That's because um, you're right. The the news media didn't report that part of the story, and um, uh, so it seems to me that the well, they reported it, but not very much. Not very much. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see it. So it seems to me that there was there was some sort of argument that they wanted to make about trying to get. Bernie Sanders supporters to vote for Donald Trump. And honestly, if you are into um, if you are are backing the platform that Bernie Sanders backs, it just doesn't make any sense because Trump doesn't support Medicare for all. He's not for equality. He's part of the plutonomy. I mean, it just, it just it's nonsense. There's absolutely no universe in which a, a really you know obviously there was a few exceptions to that. But if, if you are really into this platform, there's no way you're going to support somebody like Trump. So, but maybe they thought that they could earn some votes that way. I was, um, I thought it was your, because I saw what I had witnessed, Portia, was fellow Democrats doing this. Like Hillary Clinton fanatics were saying, look, look at this Bernie Sanders supporter. She's, she's sig heiling at a Trump uh, rally now. Look, look, that's how the Sanders people are. So it looks like, I mean, honestly, you were, I guess, attacked by both, uh, both factions in a really crazy way. Um, Wow. Well, if you, I would love to know some of the handles of those people. 
Oh, gosh. You know. I would love. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It has occurred to me that it was a, a combined effort. Yeah, I mean, look, the plutonomy transcends both party lines. It's not just Democrats. It's not just Republicans. It's the 1% of both parties. And they're, they've been extracting mm-hmm. wealth from everybody else for, you know, a great many years now. And the Republicans might be more in your face about what they're doing. But don't kid yourself. Many of the wealthy neoliberal third way type new Democrat type Democrats are engaging in the same same policies. Neoliberalism and neoconservatism are more or less the same at base. They're into privatization. They're poor. They're pro corporate um, um, corporations. They're they are for using the the quote unquote free market. The market's not really free. It's rigged. But they're using the free market as the moral arbiter of decisions. Like let the market decide. So a lot of um, the basic premises behind both of these. Um, neoist factions are really precisely the same so uh it wouldn't surprise me and you know the threat of bernie sanders the threat of uh, social democratic socialism is very real because it's fighting back against the plutonomy it's saying enough is enough it's time for you to be taxed at a higher rate it's time for you to pay your fair share into the common good uh, so you know they're fighting they're fighting tooth and nail so it wouldn't surprise me Portia, at all it just wouldn't yeah um, yeah. Well, as I went through the whole process trying to think who would benefit most from this, mm-hmm. you know, it's I've had I've come up with all kinds of scenarios. I've flipped it this way and that way, but the one thing that was so awful, and whoever did this, uh, really didn't care about my safety, is I've had so many death threats, oh, so many, so oh, just hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't know, but wow. they came at me like crazy on Facebook and on Twitter. And um, hang-up calls, hang-up calls, hang-up calls. I haven't had nearly as many in the last few months, but I still get them. At night, by myself, I think about those things, and I don't think I'm being paranoid. Maybe I am, but it's frightening. Donald Trump Jr. was at a filling station that's only five minutes from my house during the campaign. Crazy. So, I mean, I believe they probably know where I live. Oh, indeed. Indeed. You know, so it's scary stuff. It's, it is scary stuff that, uh, you know, that they can, you know, and part of that is it's a sort of a, it's to, to terrorize you in that way. Like, it's it's definitely part of the psychology that they want to keep, they want to keep leftists, you know, scared and running and separated and, and they don't want our movement to become stronger. I believe everything they wanted to silence me, and there was no. See, they hit me on GOTV weekend in Ohio. Mm, of course, to, that, that's, see, that's when that came down. Yeah, it's very coordinated. I think. Yeah, and so they can kiss it because if that's the way I'm supposed to go out, that's the way I'm supposed to go out. They're not going to take away my voice. You They're go, just girl. not. No, you go, girl. You're strong. I love it. Um. I wanted to ask And one you, other quick thing is oh, I'm sure. still in court. I'm still in court waiting on a decision for an appeal. Okay. And hopefully that will come out really soon against James Woods, just so you know the end of it. So Okay. Yeah, you'll have to keep us posted on that. That's um, very interesting. Yeah, James Woods is not – he's a good actor, but he's not a decent man when it comes to a lot of things. It's unfortunate. Um, and honestly, I think at the end of the day, he's harmed his career by some of the um, things he's he's chosen to do, whether he realizes it or not, because nobody wants to be associated with that sort of um, 
just, I mean, it's like the guy from uh, Ted Nugent. Like they're just, they're so, or even, uh, you know, Kid Rock. I mean, some of the things these guys say publicly, you're just like, wow, you are super misogynistic or you're super racist or you're super whatever it is that they're saying. And it's no, no, you know, no film production wants to be associated with that sort of labeling because it will harm their financial bottom line. So so I know there's some karma there. I wanted to um, actually take you back to 1944 for a second. So um, and let me explain why I think this was important. So um, FDR had Henry Wallace as his VP prior to that and at that particular dem convention we we dropped the dnc dropped henry wallace and they replaced henry wallace with truman and i think this is a really important moment in our history that doesn't get discussed very much henry wallace was a progressive he wanted to extend the new deal to the african-american community he was very much uh pro-union pro-worker rights he was he was a leftist died in the wool leftist and truman was a corporatist i don't think that that's up for debate um, and what happened at that convention was, to me, is so reminiscent of what happened in 2016. You had the first vote that Henry Wallace won, but the DNC bosses didn't want it to stand, so they didn't let it stand. And you ended up with Truman coming out from that convention as the new VP. Um, and I think part of the conversation there is that they knew that if something had happened to FDR during that uh, that last uh administration that that Wallace would be the, the president of the United States and that he probably would stand and win an actual election after taking that position the way Truman did. And they wanted they wanted an establishment pro corporation left leftist guy in that position. So I think what we saw in 2016 was sort of a mirror image of that convention. Um, what do you think, Portia? Do you do you recall this convention? Um, this- yeah, and I've gone back to that many times, many times, and it's a continuation of the same process since the founding fathers. I mean, they set this country up to be what it is today. We haven't lost that basic white male hierarchical need and desire to control all the rest of us. You know, they had enough goddamn hubris to say only white male landowners can can vote. And um, we just, the progressives keep chipping away at that power structure and they do not want the powers that be, I wish I hadn't said goddamn, maybe I'll take that out. Um, I, I, I cuss like a sailor, but I don't want to offend some people. Some people, it really upsets them. <laughs> and it just slides right out, you know? But um, the process of making sure that the white man keeps the power is so layered within all the problems we're facing. And when you look at the white women that support them, the white women that support these uh, people like, uh, what was his name, uh, Blunt? Was his name Blunt? I'm having a brain cramp. It was Roy Blunt. Was it, is it Roy? Any of, and then is it DeSantis that won the governorship? Uh, the women that support Trump, they are so much a part of the problem. It blew me away when the stats came out that how many women voted for Trump. 
knowing what he has done kind of brings me back to Hillary supported her man. And I, one point I didn't make earlier about that, even after she did that, I still supported her. But as I started having conflicts at that point, but going back to this, the white women of our country, and there are some brown and black women that voted for Trump. I don't know how many, but we really, really need to start standing shoulder to shoulder with each other because I know without a shadow of a doubt that a lot of those Republican women want to be able to have access to not only birth control, but abortions as well. However, the ones that are in the upper echelon, they can afford to fly off to another country and get one or bring their personal private physician right into their home to do it. So we, we, we're just really facing a lot of that. And, you know, you think of um, how many white women have been responsible or at least should take ownership of the fact that they have been a whole lot of the reason and continue to be a whole lot of the reason for this deep-seated racism in America. They've really got to stop it. I grew up as a poor white Appalachian girl, and we were poor. I mean, we didn't go hungry, but we lived basically on beans and really poor cuts of meat. You know, we had chicken, we didn't have fresh vegetables and fruit like, you know, a lot of people do. And um, I know what it's like to be poor and, you know, get your clothes at Goodwill and be embarrassed of your clothes and be made fun of. And, but I didn't have black or brown skin. And I knew even then, no one had to use the word racist to me. I knew that I had it better, even though I was, we were all pretty much just as poor as each other. But the one thing that saved me over them, and I hate to use the word saved, it just put me in a better position maybe, was white privilege. Even though I was poor, I still had white privilege. And so, yeah, it's, it's just beyond uh, understanding how these women and men, for that matter, if they love women, can vote for people like Trump and these other politicians that, <laughs> well, who was this woman, I, her name's escaping me, that just won the race? Uh, In uh, Mississippi? Yeah, her name just went right out of my head. I knew you were The woman that said she'd be in the front row of a public yeah, of a hanging. Lynching. Yeah, hey, yeah, whatever she said, yeah, or execute. Yeah, I can't recall exactly what her words were, but she yeah, that's, said a public wow. hanging. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe she won. Tried to walk it back. Oh, well, it just shows it. But you know, the good news is, is that there's such a huge groundwork that has been built. You look at, you look at Georgia, you look at Mississippi, you look at Florida. There's a huge ground game that's been built there, and it's waiting for Bernie Sanders and Nina Turner to walk in there. Right, <laughs> that's right. my dream team. You know, yes. that's who I want to run is Bernie and Nina. Nina. Position. Yeah, I agree. Nina would be a great uh, candidate. I want, and speaking well, there's of candidates, nobody that can motivate. That's true. Mm -hmm. Speaking of candidates, um, Portia, I wanted to ask you, who do you think will be the DNC darling in 2020? Because obviously it's not going to be Bernie. We're going to be pushing for Bernie. But, you know, they've been floating um, Beto, who um, I think he's dead in the water. I mean, Third Way came out and said he's their guy uh, this week on um, in an article, and it was all over social media. So that's like the kiss of death, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I was like, 
third way is come on, no. Um, you know, they float Kamala Harris. Yeah. I think Harris, Kamala Harris has a lot of baggage. You know, I'm here in California. She was our um, attorney general, and she did some things that are going to trail her for life that are definitely not progressive, even though she's claiming to be progressive. I mean, she she uh, defended involuntary servitude, um, and that was a SCOTUS decision about that came out. And she was, I think her... Um, I think her argument that she said she didn't know her office was doing it is totally bullshit because there's no way that you don't know what your attorneys are doing in your office when it comes to a SCOTUS decision. I don't buy it. She refused. I to don't pros- either. Yeah, she refused to uh, prosecute Mnuchin for his robo signing and the foreclosures. He, you know, threw people out of their houses. Former California Attorney General Kamala Harris on Wednesday vaguely acknowledged The Intercept's report about her declining to prosecute Steven Mnuchin's One West Bank for foreclosure violations in 2013, but offered no explanation. It's a decision my office made, she said, in response to questions from The Hill shortly after being sworn in as California's newest U.S. senator. We went and we followed the facts and the evidence, and it's a decision my office made, Harris said. We pursued it just like any other case. We go and we take a case wherever the facts lead us. Mnuchin is Donald Trump's nominee to run the Treasury Department and served as CEO of One West from 2009 to 2015. In an internal memo published on Tuesday by The Intercept, prosecutors at the California Attorney General's office said they had found over a thousand violations of foreclosure laws by his bank during that time and predicted that further investigation would uncover many thousands more. But the investigation into what the memo called widespread misconduct was closed after Harris's office declined to file a civil enforcement action against the bank. That did not. He had no real basis for doing it. It was it was fraud. Um, didn't didn't. So you can go to, go down the list. She defended or tried to cover up a um, a tech lab that was uh, wrongly wrongly um, drug tests that were used in testimony to to put folks in jail. Um, it was a big scandal. She 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 tried to cover it up. So I mean, you can go down the list. I mean, I can go on for twenty four minutes, but I think um, twenty or more minutes. I think I've made my case. I, but they're pushing her. Um, then we have Joe Biden, who is, as far as I'm concerned, he's got a lot of baggage, too. I mean, starting with the Anita Hill uh, situation. Oh. <laughs> I'll never get it. Right? Yeah. I, I'll tell you, if they're smart, if they, don't want, if they want to try to um, keep Bernie out of the picture, they'll take a look at Amy Klobacher. Mm. Okay, that's an interesting name I have From not heard floated. Yeah, give me your reasoning for that. That's interesting. Well, she's a level-headed woman. I've never ever heard of anybody. I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Amy, and uh, she's considering a run. Now, I'm not saying she will. Uh, even you know, I don't even know what they have to do to get the DNC to look at him other than be able to raise a lot of money. But she, she, uh, she's a good level-headed woman and she's a woman, but I do believe with everything in me that if Bernie and Nina run on the same ticket, in four to eight years, depending on what Bernie would want, if he wants a second term, that they will be ready because Nina will be out there. She's out there already so much, but she will really be out there given the fact that she will be the first black vice president woman in the country. 
forever. It will be, everybody will be, you know, the, the assholes and the haters will be watching her because they want her to flip, uh, mess up. And the other people will be watching her and learning about the talent. Nobody has any idea how much talent this woman has. I, well, it's silly of me to say nobody. Most people don't, I think. Most people don't realize how hard she works. But she's been to, I think, 48 states already. She got family. I love Nina. You know, she's keeping two households going. Nina's like so many levels but, off. I love Nina. Yeah. And but looking at Kamala, she's a fake. Yeah, she's, she's a smart a ass. ass. You ever look at her body language at press conferences? Yeah. yeah. But I'll ne- I'll never forget when Dr. Reverend Barber did a press conference and she and Cory Booker were there. If you watched, they were so disrespectful to him. Yeah. They put yeah. their little faces up there yeah. and they kept chit-chatting with each other while Dr. Barber was talking. Yeah. Yeah. It was an out, I was so outraged and they're just smart asses. Yeah, they're not. Kamala has some kind of a, I don't know, just. She just gets this expression on her face that just, yeah, in addition to just, yes, they are. In addition to her having so much baggage, I just believe our country's too racist to elect a black woman for president. Well, yeah, partially that's true, yeah. Now, I, you know, I don't have access to all the numbers and all that. I'm just speaking on what I know. Mm -hmm. And the people around here despised Hillary Clinton for lots of reasons. But the greatest reason was she was a woman. You think I had that. That's what I was told so by several. And I was told, you know, if, if, if the Democrats hadn't cheated your guy, I'd have voted for him. But I'm not voting for any goddamn woman. But yeah, I mean, they told me that. That's interesting. I yeah, I had I not mean, heard that. But I live in in, in, in California, so it's probably a, a different environment. Um, I, you know, and sure. I, you know, and you're right. There's misogyny no matter where you slice it. Down. Anyone that says that there's no misogyny out there is completely deluding themselves. Um, there is. So, Lowell, let me. I want to ask you about Amy for a second because that's an interesting point. I know. So she is a centrist. She's not a progressive. Like she's one of the she's one of the Democrats that argues that we need access to health care, but it won't come out and support something like Medicare for all. So she is. Right. Yeah, she's definitely in that centrist wheelhouse, and that's an interesting thought. You're and she. I think you're right. I think she. The more I think about it, she would be a stronger contender against Sanders simply because she doesn't have the baggage uh, that these other folks do have. Now, Beto doesn't have any baggage, but I think he's, you know, I mean, well, let me take that back. He does. He did support some things that are clearly, um, you know, like military industrial complex sort of stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, Beto, I just saw something that he it shocked me. Well, he's he's only second in line after Cruz in accepting money from the fossil fuel industry. Yeah, uh, he is not a progressive. No. He, you know, he ran a he ran against. Um, my mind's starting to go Ted go Cruz. on me here. <laughs> Ted Cruz. Or? Right, right. He he ran against, but Seema Hernandez. Oh, Seema Hernandez. I love Seema. Seema. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, see, they ran against each other in the primary. In the primary, that's right. And the Democrats pushed her out hard. They and did. so did the Justice Democrats, by the way. Did they? 
people don't know that little bit. Yeah, I don't trust Justice Democrats as far as I could throw them. Hmm. No, go ahead and talk about that, because I think that's important to the grassroots organizing. Uh, so Justice Democrats... Uh, the idea behind that is to reform the Democratic Party and to clean it up and to push progressive um, candidates through grassroots initiative. But you're but you're saying that you don't trust them. So give us the background reasons for that. The way they treated most of their candidates, well, not most, but I know of some of their candidates that they treated really badly. And when going back to a little bit of the history that I know, when they first formed, they were brand new Congress. Then there was a split within brand new Congress, and the split ended up being Justice Democrats. And um, when brand new Congress first started working with its candidates, and I've seen these receipts with my own eyes, they wanted the candidate to sign a contract that would give the Justice Democrats staff, the organization, the PAC, by the way, a lot of people don't know, but it was a, it was and it is a PAC, 95% of the money they raised. In addition to that, they would still have to pay for services that the justice system, or at that time, brand new Congress was going to give to the or provide. It was a sham. It is a sham. I trust them. They're just as bad, if not worse, than Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC. People are going to be really mad at me for saying that, but it is just as much the raw truth as my rent video. And I talk truth to power. Paula Jean Swearingen, who ran against Joe Manchin in West Virginia, just put out a tweet, I believe it was last week, that Justice Democrats didn't give her one penny. You're kidding me. Not one penny. So I've had Paula Jean on the podcast. But they they give Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez thousands and thousands, but they don't give Paula Jean a penny. What the hell is that all about? I don't know. That's very curious. I actually, so... um, And Ocasio served on their board as she was running as a candidate. mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's very disappointing. And she's one of the people, she's one of the progressive candidates that said I was crazy for wanting the Equal Rights Amendment in there because I challenged them in Atlanta. I challenged them at a breakfast in Atlanta. We should look into that. Um, I ha- I've had Paula Jean on the podcast, and I actually met Paula Jean at a Democrat, uh, Justice Democrats event here in Los Angeles. And they, oh. yeah, they had brought to, well, it was a fundraiser, and I gave them money. Um, they had brought these candidates to L.A. for that purpose and um, had them speak, and they were trying to raise funds for the candidacy. But I didn't realize that that wasn't passing through directly my understanding was that they would take that money and um, divide it up equally among the candidates and so and, and fund the, the races that way. But you're saying so now um, what did Paula Jean? I should look up this uh, tweet because I'm very curious about this now. Okay. It's under tweets and replies and it was on December 1st. Justice Democrats didn't give me any money. I think that was a clerical error and an amendment 
has been filed. I paid for services with them. They gave all candidates an in-kind donation once for the use of the dialer. And then, oh, I see, somebody had tweeted out to her first. Well, she tweeted, the liberal elite will never want to advocate for working poor because it undermines their privilege. And then... Carolyn Johnson wrote, Paula Jean, am I reading this wrong? Did the Justice Democrats give you only $16? And then her answer is, Justice Democrats didn't give me any money. I think that was a clerical error, and an amendment has been filed. Paula's a friend of mine. I've gotten to know Paula really well. And, um, yeah, they they did her wrong. They did her really, really wrong. And they did other candidates wrong. And I've talked to more than one across the country. So, uh, yeah, they're, it, it really bothers me. I can't begin to tell you how badly it bothers me. Um, you know, Joe Manchin, let's talk about him for a second. He is, uh, you know, I'm so tired of the group of Democrats that, like, keep saying, but Bernie's not a real Democrat. He's not a Democrat. Like, this is their argument against him, and it's just a stupid argument. It makes no sense whatsoever. And my response to that is, well, look at guys like Joe Manchin. He's got an A rating from the NRA. Um, He voted yes on the Kavanaugh um, to confirm Kavanaugh to the core. I mean, you can go down the list. There's no if 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 Manchin is what a real Democrat is, then the Democrats have a serious problem because Bernie is much more dedicated to the DNC platform than Joe Manchin is like. I, I, guess I know it's an outrage. It's an outrage. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, one last question that I think is really important. You have years of experience as an activist and you've seen lots of things um, through the years, I would imagine. So all of that must accumulate in um, knowledge of, of all, you know, knowledge of the, of the uh, movement. And I wanted to ask you what your advice would be to our young millennial activists that are just coming up now. Um, a lot of them have a lot of fire and fury. They have a lot of passion and they do want to change the world. They see the problems much more clearly. I think the millennials are, um, they have very high bullshit meters and they, you know, they investigate mm-hmm. things and they don't really, they don't really buy into the propaganda as much as previous generations have. But what would your advice be to them? Because I think where they're lacking is um, where to, where to direct that pa- passion. Um, I think a lot of times I see them getting into silly fights amongst themselves when they should be fighting the plutonomy, for example. So um, what kind of advice would you give, give them? The first piece of advice is the struggle goes on forever. There's no end to the struggle. And, and that's, that's a real tough pill to swallow. So as a millennial or actually anybody of any age, when you get involved in this struggle, in this fight, call it our revolution, call it social justice movement, whatever you want, do some real serious self-inventory and only step up for what you really know that you're not only willing but able to do. And if you are in that mindset, Hopefully, you won't burn out. And always in the back of your mind, understand that you will not always win. And it was so heartbreaking to watch some of the young, many, I want maybe millions, I don't know, but thousands, hundreds of thousands of young millennials who had just jumped into the political scene for the first time in their lives with Bernie just be totally devastated psychologically 
to the point where some of them were incapacitated and still are to this day over it. You don't win every battle, and some of them are really big, and you give a lot. And so I want to really emphasize we have to be willing and able. And able can be a lot of things. It can be, I'm a single mom, and I really want Bernie to win, but I really can't give him more than two hours a week because I'm working two jobs. I've got children. I need to help them with their homework. And if I step over that two-hour boundary, I'm no longer able. And if I do, then my kids suffer or something else that is important in my life. That's a responsibility is going to suffer. And I'm going to go to bed every night feeling guilty. And that doesn't make for good activism because you wear out and you burn out. Be honest. Damn it. Be honest to the raw depth of what honesty means. There is nothing that is more important than honesty. If you see sexual discrimination within the campaign, you call it out and you call it out hard. If you see somebody treating somebody wrong and condescending to them, call it out. Don't let it go on because it festers like a cancer. It's got to be rooted out. So we've got to make sure that our troops are as pure as we can get them to be. And we don't keep secrets about each other when it's wrong. I think that's really solid advice. Uh